Let us now turn to our scripture this morning. It comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 36. We're going to go to the end of the chapter. You can find it on page 1027 in your pew Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, we we encourage you to open the pew Bible in front of you. Uh, because one of the great things that we have since the Protestant Reformation is we have the Bible in our language that we can read for ourselves. You don't have to trust what I'm telling you. You can see God's words with your own two eyes. Uh, I was taught by a pastor named Doug Skinner. He said, if, if you don't bring your Bible or you're not opening the Pew Bible in front of you, I'm going to assume that you have the scripture memorized and can be called upon willingly at any time. Uh, I haven't called upon anybody yet. I'm getting close. Uh, so let's not make this Sunday the day. Also, if you do not have a Bible with you or you don't own a Bible, that Bible in the pew is yours. It's a free gift from us. We don't want anyone to leave without the word of God in their hand. So the gospel reads. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair on her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. The turning, then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Here ends the reading of God's word. Let us join together in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the way this story sets up in the gospel is for us, the reader, the hearer of this story, 
is by the end of it to make this decision, who are we? Where do we locate ourselves within this gospel story, this encounter with Jesus? There's three characters. There's Jesus, Simon the Pharisee, and the sinful woman. Now, we can mark Jesus off the list because no one here is the Lord and Savior of the world. Uh, So we can exclude ourselves from that. That leaves us with the sinful woman and Simon the Pharisee. And so as we go through this, keep that in mind. Where do I locate myself? Where am I being found here? And depending on where we find ourselves is, depends on what we hear from Jesus. See, Jesus had just been called a friend of sinners. And now Jesus was, he wasn't eating at a tax collector's home like we had seen Before He wasn't eating and dining with sinners and drunkards and prostitutes. No, Jesus here now has been invited to the home of Simon the Pharisee. It doesn't tell us exactly where in Galilee Jesus is, but he's in Galilee during his ministry. And there he finds himself after doing some teaching in the synagogue or someplace. Simon the Pharisee invited him over for dinner, as was the custom of that time to do with rabbis who were traveling through. And during the first century, they would have such a setup that they would more than likely be eating in the courtyard with Simon and Jesus and a number of other guests at the table. But then it was open for anyone to come in and be a wallflower and watch the conversation as it unfolded. See, they, in the first century, did not have the Jacksonville Jaguars to attend to immediately after worship. And so this was their entertainment. This is what they found out what was going on. Religious debates and things would take place during this time as the rabbi would more than likely continue teaching. And here we have Jesus at Simon the Pharisee's house. And it says he was reclined. Now, when it says Jesus was reclined, they're telling us that They were eating on couches around the table, and Jesus was leaning on his left arm. This is traditionally how you reclined at the table. You leaned on your left arm, you ate with your right as you laid out on the couch, and his feet would have been away from the table. So this woman, who was a wallflower, is close enough to Jesus' feet. And as she is there in Jesus' presence, she weeps. She weeps. And her tears fall upon Jesus' feet. Martin Luther calls it heart water. And then she undid her hair and washed Jesus' feet. And then she kissed his feet. And then she anointed his feet with the perfume in the alabaster jar that she had brought with her. She was worshiping Jesus. And she was a sinner. A woman known around town by everyone as not just a sinner, but apparently a great one with many sins. See, women in that time didn't own much. But they owned their reputation. And hers had been ruined and destroyed along the way. And everybody in town knew it, even Simon the Pharisee. 
So as he sees these things happening to Jesus at the table, Simon the Pharisee has this dialogue with himself. Well, he must not be a prophet. For if he was a prophet, he would have known that she was a great sinner. Isn't it interesting? Simon talks to himself. Every time in Scripture, someone is near Jesus, and they either think to themselves, talk amongst themselves, or try whispering, and try to keep Jesus from knowing their thoughts and words, Jesus ends up picking up on it and then speaking to it immediately. Showing us over and over again that there is a thought nor a saying that we can have or say and keep it from Jesus. He's listening. He knows you. So when Simon the Pharisee says, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. Because prophets during that day wanted to be undefiled. They wanted to be as clean as possible because that added to their integrity and trustworthiness of the message they were bringing from God. But here Jesus was clearly not a prophet. And if not a prophet, clearly not the Messiah, as he claims. Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Go for it. And then Jesus tells us one of the shortest parables he's ever told, that there was a certain money lender who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, meaning about a year and a half's worth of debt, because it's a denarii a day, and one who owed 50, which would have been almost two months' worth of debt. And when it came time and they couldn't pay, the money lender canceled their debt. Now, the funny thing with debt and, and things owed is that when they are forgiven, when they are canceled, someone still pays them. That when the debts that these two debtors have is canceled, it's forgiven. They no longer owe that money. They no longer have to make that payment. And now what has happened is the money lender, the creditor who it was owed to has taken on that payment, that loss themselves. It does not merely disappear. It is taken upon the one who cancels the debt. Just as it is with Jesus. When Jesus goes and hangs on the cross, he sheds his blood because our sins are forgiven and he takes on the payment of that debt. And there it is said that he satisfies God's justice. That sins past present and future have been paid in full through the shedding of our Savior's blood, and we can scream hallelujah, amen. Because here's the other thing he tells us in this short parable. The one who had a large debt and the one who had a small one, when they were forgiven, they were put on level ground just as it is with the cross. You see, when you go to the foot of the cross, it's level ground. 
There's forgiven and there's forgiven. There's no hierarchy among forgiven people. So here Jesus has said, and then he asked Simon a pointed question. Now, which of them would love the creditor, the moneylender more? And Simon, the Pharisee, I can't tell if he's just perturbed, if he's put off, if he's being snarky, if he, if he just wants to get under Jesus's skin. He says, well, I suppose. What do you mean you suppose? You heard the parable too, right? There's no supposing who loves the moneylender more when the debts are forgiven. It's clearly the one who owed more. And Jesus says, you have judged rightly. You have judged rightly. But what scripture teaches us is one sin doesn't carry more weight than another. That there is not one who owes more than another to Jesus. See, what has happened to Simon the Pharisee is something that often happens to us as well. We can get to a point to where we think we don't need any forgiveness, or if we only need a little, we can cover that ground all by ourselves. But what Scripture points to is that sins are weighted the same, and we are all falling short of the glory of God on our own. There's no work. There's no merit. There's nothing we can do ourselves to get close enough to God, to reach glory, to reach salvation. And it requires a savior. We require a savior. And from the very beginning of the fall in Genesis, God has said he has a plan and his plan is Jesus Christ who came and forgave us our sins and made the payment himself so that we can be set free on level ground as forgiven, beloved children of God. So he turns to the woman, but he's still talking to Simon, the Pharisee. He says, you see this woman here? And then Jesus begins pointing out that Simon was the host of Jesus. And yet he showed no hospitality. There was no basin or cloth there to wash Jesus's feet. But this woman used her heart water and her own hair to make sure his feet were clean. There was no holy kiss upon the entrance of his place. But this woman has ceased to kiss his feet. And there was no oil placed upon his head as a ritual in entering his place and for a rabbi. And yet this woman has anointed him with all she has on his feet. He says she has loved more. See, this woman was a sinner that the whole town knew. And when she found herself that close to Jesus, she cared not what everyone else thought of her worship. She worshiped. She worshiped. She didn't look to her left or right to listen, to hear what others were saying or snickering, but she worshiped because she knew how far Jesus had brought her. And he says to her, your sins are forgiven. And the people in the room 
can't believe it. Who is this guy who forgives sins? And Jesus says, it's your faith that has saved you. It's not her worship that saved her. It wasn't her love for Jesus that saved her. It was her faith that saved her, and she had been transformed by it and fell into worship of Jesus Christ for his glory. And I know there's times when we don't feel worthy of being forgiven, and even still, there's more times that we don't feel worthy of being used by God. But here, Jesus demonstrates those he forgives are those he uses for his purposes. As it's been said over again and many times, God does not call the equipped, but he equips the called. That we're not merely called to be wallflowers in the worship of Jesus. We're not merely called to stand on the sidelines as forgiven, but that he uses us for his glory, for his kingdom, for his gospel to reach the four corners of the earth. Jesus has a purpose and a plan for each of you. And then he tells her to go in peace. Go in peace. This is a woman with out of good reputation in town. She won't be able to go into synagogue. She's known as a sinner throughout. Even though Jesus utters the words, you are forgiven, her reputation will precede her. Go in peace. Where is it she can go in peace? And this scripture leaves the world and us begging for a new community, a new community in Christ of a people called from the world to be the body of Christ, to be the church, the ecclesia, that there would be a place, a house for all sinners and saints to come and worship freely, unafraid of any judgment, but joy in the grace of Christ and that the doors would swing open with welcome and hospitality. That Jesus would unite us, that love and grace would rule the day, that we would be a people known for his love in us. Go in peace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we praise you and give you thanks because you have provided for us this sanctuary in which we can come and worship you. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness we have received in Jesus, for the debt that he paid on the cross. May we be unafraid to worship you fully. And may we be prepared as your people to swing open the doors 
and offer grace and love in your name as you have offered it to us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.